<gasps> oh, I told you. Oh, I told you. <laughs> oh, that's it. End the show. Dang. Boom. We got nothing else to talk about on the show. That's the news. Oh, that's my right. It's Monday, December 14th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news headlines and all the gossipy hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. How's it going, fellas? What up? I'm tired. What happened? Tell me about y'all's mornings. Well, which part of the morning? Let's see. I went to bed at 1130. I woke up at 2 from 2 to 5, watched Harry Potter. <laughs> Why? Why? Sleep. <laughs> what? Look, sometimes no. when you wake up at 2 and your wife wakes up at 2 at the exact same time, you're both wide awake. Your answer is you just, you just watch some Harry Potter. No, okay. uh, that's never happened ended up to me. Watching the whole thing. Uh, I don't know, man. We were just both wide awake and could not go back to sleep. We typically can go to sleep question? with the TV on. Uh, you can ask me. Ask we me all on drugs. Just be, just be honest. We were not. Okay. Um, in fact, I don't know that either one of us ever has been. We are not the life of the party. Um, Do you have the vid? The vid. I'm trying. I'm trying to hunt down why you both woke up at two a.m. And then decided to watch a movie because it seems okay. insane. Okay. You want to know? You want to know why? I'll tell you why. Baby. Yeah. It's the baby. Are you both ready? It yeah. is the baby. Am I old it's enough to hear this? Okay. You are old enough to hear this. But <laughs> it's the baby. And the it's the baby that isn't here yet. <gasps> oh, I told you. Oh, I told you. <laughs> oh, that's it. End the show. Dang. Boom. We got nothing else to talk about on the show. That's the news. Oh That's my right. Russ, That's right. Russ. Baby congratulations. number two. Baby Yay number two. Uh, yeah, Back to I'm, that proliferation I'm comment. Very much so sharing <laughs> this experience with my wife. Uh, so it's a, I am nauseous as well. Uh, I don't oh. know if you guys ever experienced this with any nope. of your seven. Never had a sympathetic pregnancy. That wasn't me making a joke about being fat. I didn't, uh, I didn't experience what? this with Kate. It was not a thing. But every night between like seven and nine, I am nauseous. So is she. That's wild. Uh, I, this was happening before uh, we knew that she was pregnant, by the way. I just thought that I was just getting nauseous randomly. Uh, and then uh, she's been struggling to sleep at night. I have not. And I guess that wasn't good enough. So, <laughs> so, okay. so now well, I'm dude, right there with her. That is awesome. It is oh, awesome. Man. Except for the so being cool. awake part. That's yeah, but I'm awesome. excited. I'm but you excited. filled it with Harry Potter, which is awesome. So you're we doing did. all right. We filled it with Harry Potter. She's she's like four movies in because this has happened to her a bunch lately. So I, I joined in on like the fourth or the fifth movie, The Order That's of the awesome. Phoenix, one we were on last night. So dang, dude, I have to go back and rewatch the 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 first first few to catch up to her. Well, now my news game is all off because I'm so excited for you. <laughs> well, thank you. All right, listeners. Uh, we are excited as well. Go hit them up on the Twitter and say congratulations. Woo, yeah. yeah. I do so. not have a baby. And my morning was also exciting, but not like that. I mean, that's 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 awesome. Well, why was that's your morning really exciting? exciting? Uh, because my wife's alarm woke me up with a massive kick of adrenaline. And instead of going back to bed, which is my usual MO, because I'm not a morning person and I prefer to just sleep. Um, I got up all thinking I was going to play some cyberpunk and take some alone time in the morning, uh, before oh, the yeah. kids woke up and, uh, I pull up stadia, um, because I picked up stadia at your, uh, suggestion there, Russ, and it was down 
because Google services are down this morning. I was going to say, because everything news. from Google was down. It sucked. Oh. Yep. Nope. Uh, I, I think we've had this conversation, obviously, in our own chat, but I do not play games that often these days. Uh, it just, I didn't prioritize it and other things have happened. So I was all excited to get some me game time this morning. And it didn't happen because the internet hates me. Yeah, the clouds had a rough couple uh, months here. First, Microsoft had a couple of outages a couple weeks in a row, and then Amazon took down one-third of the internet. That was crazy. Yeah, one service goes down from Amazon. they got to reboot a couple servers, and then the internet doesn't work anymore. So if that doesn't (laughs) tell you that we're a little too centralized there, then I don't know what will. And then Google goes down, and no one can play Cyberpunk. So what the heck's going on here, Cloud? tell Tell me what happens at Google where you can't play Cyberpunk your Nest doesn't work, your Chromecast doesn't work, Google Maps doesn't work, AdWords, AdSense, Google Pay, Google Home, YouTube, Gmail, Google Drive, Google Docs, like nothing works. What has to happen? Uh, I don't know. I guess Kubernetes broke. DNS. I mean, it's just (laughs) insane. It's always DNS. Well, it's funny because you say that um, with the Amazon outage, it was the Kinesis service that they needed to add storage to didn't work very well when they added the storage to Kinesis and they, it would force them into needing to reboot the service. But because so many other services rely on that service, it was a chain reaction. I imagine Google sort of experienced the same thing. They probably Mm. had one thing or one or two things that probably went out. I don't know if they'll share the details with us. Usually this stuff does get revealed. Uh, And then it just sort of sets off this chain reaction where a lot of other things went down because they all rely on sort of the same service in order for it to work. So that's yep. more than likely what happened here. Yeah. What's, no what's data about stuff like yet, this, though. especially at least historically from Google, they will they will come out and they will do sort of a deep dive into what went wrong. And then in a lot of cases, they'll talk about how they fixed it too. I mean, it can take a long time for them to kind of work around it, but these kinds of major outages will lead to re-architectures of the applications that are doing, assuming that's even feasible for whatever service they're they're getting to but being able to hot add this or that you know people i guess i run into situations where i'll get pushback you know in our space where we're sort of consulting with with our customers and sometimes you'll you'll make a suggestion you'll get pushback on that suggestion and all you can say is i I guarantee you is written in blood and you might not have run into anything like it yet and maybe you won't you know i mean google didn't until today but uh but they they will sort of set out why making design decisions looks the way it should. And, and it's an event like this that, that got that whole, you know, architecture written down in the first place. But Sure. So uh, take me now to SolarWinds. Yes. Do either of y'all know what's going on oh, there? Man. That seems like that a was, logical, wait, logical next step in this say conversation. Say the words again. Solar. <laughs> Solar oh, wins. gosh, guys. Yeah, I should have lost sleep over this last night. I was, yeah, I was actually texting. I had seen, I'd read like New York Times article popped up on my phone. Mm-hmm. I think Curtis Bunker tagged us in a similar article, um, yep. and that one was from like the Huffington Post, and I, all these different places started popping up. And, <clears throat> and I'm reading through, and I actually started messaging some of my friends and uh, and two of my my peers, my work colleagues, and it just when I first read it. The uh, the part about uh, solar ones that said the global campaign investigators now believe involved the hackers inserting their code into periodic updates of software used to manage networks by a company called Solar Winds. And when I read that, I was like, 
Oh, crap. It's <laughs> not a small thing. <laughs> no, it's, and it's huge. Just, <clears throat> I'm thinking about it from the writer's perspective. They're like, yeah, some company called... Some little Solar. thing. Like, I don't know if anyone's heard of this. It's called SolarWinds. Maybe go look it up. Yeah. yeah. And, and to and give perspective like, oh, to anybody that's listening and isn't familiar, right? I, I think it was actually in one of the articles, but SolarWinds is used probably by every Fortune 500 company in some oh, capacity. Yes. I think that's actually something they brag about, which is great. It's brag worthy, but... To give you a feel, yeah, it's what Aaron's got it up. They're they're almost a billion dollar company in 2019, but they service major major corporations worldwide. And as as this sort of hack highlights, um, a lot of government agencies. Um, so the the Fed is expected to have been uh, exposed by these these attacks. Um, the Commerce Department. Um, I think I saw one report that there, there are FBI, you know, elements to this as well. So this is not a small uh, issue, and it, it is expected that it was nation state backed, right? So there were there's speculation that it was Russia. I guess there is some indication that there may have been um, Russian involvement in it, but it it highlights uh, a really curious conundrum, I think, which is when you're focusing on security, you 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 have to be really careful about eggs and baskets and having everything in the same place and expecting a company like SolarWinds, which services all of these large customers, you you would expect them to be extremely hardened from a security standpoint. You kind of need them to, especially if you're a smaller local government sort of outfit, right? Because you don't necessarily have the resources to to do what needs to be done to the same extent that a SolarWinds would, right? And your your trade-off here is either you rely on those third-party vendors to provide those services and provide it more securely than you could do yourself, you know, sort of breaking it at home. But so if you rely on those services en masse, as many, many corporations do in SolarWinds, SolarWinds becomes a very coherent target for this kind of supply chain attack, where if they can upend SolarWinds code, or if they can do exactly what they did, inject themselves into it, then they have gained access to a huge number of corporate and government clients. And so it's, it's really interesting. This is, a, this is like an echo of what I thought I saw a week or two ago, or maybe earlier. I thought I saw news about FireEye yeah. and this whole Cozy Bear stuff, which actually sounds kind of nice. Even though it's like, <laughs> even though it's what is it? Uh, Cozy Bear classified as advanced persistent threat APT twenty nine is a Russian hacker group believed to be associated with one or more intelligence agencies of Russia. Cozy Bear sounds yeah. nice. It was a good name to pick. It does. No, it's, no, it's like not. the uh, the Trojan. I feel horse like I could use some Cozy Bear in my life, but not that one. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, I thought I had heard that FireEye something happened there, and then mm-hmm. that's and then that ended up. Yeah, so the, are you, the news are you do you know what the FireEye thing was? Did you read what no, it was? Specifically? No, I didn't. No. Yeah, so fire, So two specific things here, and I have so many thoughts on this. I, I'll tell you guys, I was pacing around my room, and I was texting, um, like I said, my, two of my work colleagues, and I said to them, I was like, I feel like I need to fix this, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, I, I felt like I needed, I, I almost went and got on my work computer, even though the there's rest, nothing that I could do. You should, before <laughs> you get into it, you should get that guy that created the Australian internet that we talked about on the last show. I bet he's, he would do he's it. He's on the line. Like, we got him if you need to pull him in. <laughs> we got him. Um, 
So, so two, two pieces here, FireEye specifically. So it's interesting. So actually James Thompson, who I, I think you guys know to some degree, he's been a very loyal follower between from our different escapades like SevOps. Uh, what up, James? Both traditional video and the ones that we did uh, over Zoom like we are now, hey, and he listens to podcasts. Don't tell people about SevOps. Don't mention it. <laughs> hey, <laughs> it was an embarrassing chapter of our, of our lives. I disagree. I love well, SevOps. I think everyone should go watch all the videos. I want, it, I want it back in my life. Uh, so he had brought up that as we were looking at the FireEye stuff, that apparently FireEye took a little bit of flack for coming out, I guess, a week ago or, or early and saying that they thought Russia did this, um, which is turning out to more than likely potentially be the case. But FireEye, <laughs> they provide a lot of uh, security-based testing and testing tools that are used in governments in order to you know, just do regular normal tests that you would do uh, in order to figure out if you have security holes. They had a lot of their tool suite stolen, stolen. by state hackers. So oh. state hackers. That's the news <laughs> I saw. New okay. Cause, yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause there were people were just like, what are the odds that this is your, basically your job and this happens to you? Yeah. hundred percent. So that was, that was one big piece. And then, and then came the solar winds piece, which I, I don't think there's any way to understate this for the people who don't know, like let's just, so I work for uh, basically an IT consultancy firm. So we go and we ask questions about all of their different IT space tools or whatever they do. We don't even ask companies if they use solar winds. We assume companies use solar winds because it is probably four out of five, nine out of 10 type of number of companies that leverage this. And it's not just, it's not, it's not necessarily a security tool. It is one piece of a security process, but it does a million different things. So you wouldn't necessarily point to solar winds as your immediate point of attack. It is a monitoring tool that will monitor storage. It'll monitor servers. It'll do performance metrics. It'll do security. I mean, there's a lot of different modules that plug into it. So it's a very big deal that this happened. And as I was looking more and more at this, I I just, it drove me crazy the things that I was reading. So one of the interesting aspects of this was how sophisticated it was. So most hacks involve stealing usernames and passwords. But what I had read yesterday was how this was more sophisticated in the way that it involved the creation of counterfeit tokens essentially electronic indicators that provide an assurance to Microsoft, Google, other providers about the identity of the computer system its emails systems are talking to. And by using a flaw that is extraordinarily difficult to detect, the hackers were able to trick the system and gain access undetected. So they use basically fake token creation to inject their code, you know, over time into solar winds and gain these exploits. So they've been doing this potentially since like April March, that April, wildly several months. It's unbelievable the way this happened. And what frustrated me even more, and what I want to hear y'all's thoughts on, are you know, obviously this is linked to a state-sponsored event. This Russia is Russia gets blamed a lot. They are not the only people who do this. Nope. Uh, and, and so I struggle with this notion of like, <laughs> what is the difference between governments and criminal organizations at this point? And by the way, <laughs> I'm including our own in this. <laughs> Because as I'm reading this, and this came from the New York Times, uh, it said, news of the breach reported earlier by Reuters came less than a week after the National Security Agency. I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but that's us. The NSA. NSA. Yeah. (laughs) And now, now it goes into the description. So people aren't trying to hide this. This is in the roles and responsibilities section. (laughs) <laughs> which is responsible for breaking into foreign computer networks and defending the most sensitive U.S. national security systems. Issued a warning that yada, yada, yada. So it just bothers me 
that we all just, this is such a normal thing that we're just so accepting of. But if you had a criminal organization that was meant to break into national security systems, that would be a really, really big deal. And we would be trying to take them down, but then we just go do these things ourselves. So I'm curious yeah. about your guys' thoughts on why can't we all just leave each other alone? Why can't like, what we is all going just on get here? along? <laughs> I hate it. I hate yeah, every you're asking aspect a bunch of, of different types of questions there. Yeah, um, no, I'm not. I don't even want to touch some of that. <laughs> yeah, the difference between governments and criminal organizations. What's the difference? Yeah, you, that's a joke, right? Yeah, that's funny. I, mean, um, I don't know. They're doing some of the you, same thing. Then things. you get to the you get to the it's okay we're from the government kind of concept. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but if we think yeah. they're bad for doing it, we're, we're good for doing it. Look, we can say this because we're in America. The Russian citizens, Russian Tech Breakfast podcast cannot say these words. <laughs> so we have the benefit of being able to actually call this out. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. Well, I don't know that I want to open that can of worms on this show I, right it's, now. You know, it's, I, it's, it's so deep, man. That's yeah. the perspective there. I mean, what's the difference between a, a, a gang, a militia, and, and an invading army from the... Right the the aggressed perspective right it all sucks when yeah. bullets are flying kind of stuff yeah. and, and and how much of it yeah, is defensive I, and how much of it is like proactive offensive in order to protect the defensive right how much this of is it all is like thieving. The, that's what this is yeah it's sure thieving, right that's what this much, is it's, it's not yeah. i don't know i i don't and, and i recognize that understanding and having information can help from a defensive perspective. I, I get, all but to your point, things. when they, like when they say, um, you know, we're going to hack into these other government, like wh whoever we is and whoever they are, we're going to hack into their government systems to make sure none of our data is in there or being taken or whatever. Right. Or that there's no plans in there to attack us. Where, where do you draw that line? Right. It's just well, like, while we're well, there, I'll we're going to meddle with what. the election to make sure that uh, unfriendly <laughs> right. government officials. Also yeah. Where does that line in. stop? Yeah, well, exactly. okay. Then, then I'll draw the line. In right our now. best interest. Though. I'll, I'll draw the line right now. If, if everyone's doing it, then it doesn't matter. And it's just a game. And so right now, score one zero Russia. All right. So we, you know, we're at halftime now. We're figuring out now. what our game plan is going to be for the second half. And this is going to be a part of Simon Sinek's infinite game that we're just forever going to be playing. And at the end of the day, if that's the case, this news doesn't even matter. Yeah. Like, I'll just say, that's my say I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> Good for them. Right? <laughs> I want to read uh, about the things that we get found out doing. I want to hear about the ones yeah. where like, we, we have they, a super come up sophisticated a lot. one. They do. Those come up. The I mean, that was Stuxnet was one of, the, one of those. And then I want to hear about numerous, our There have been numerous attacks, attacks where the three-letter agencies were, were – I mean, Kaspersky, right? They, they have published um, – this is in arrears. This is quite some time ago, usually by the time they're even publishing it. But we, we the United States – are responsible for some of the most sophisticated attacks, you know, recorded. And, and I guarantee you there are equally sophisticated attacks going on right now that are caused by or being perpetrated by three-letter agencies in the United States against the same nation states we're, we're on about. Uh, it's Unfortunately, most of this stuff ends up being a zero-sum game, right? That's so what it feels it, like. Th there is going to be a winner and a loser when it comes to geopolitical and you know geoeconomic considerations, advantage to the winner, right? Like it, it's you're going to see a lot more of this 
I just and people may not be dying NSA in fields, but has a scoreboard up internally in the office <laughs> somewhere. And they're keeping track of like how many times they get hit versus how many times they hit someone else. Because I yeah. feel like if the three of us worked there, we'd probably orchestrate something. Like and, and I want to know too, is it more like major league soccer where the scores are low or is it like uh, NBA where the scores are very, very high? That's I think the scores are really high. They're just not they're worth very many high. points. Yeah. <laughs> some some are worth big points like this one. I, I have a feeling because of what they potentially got access to. Other ones are amazing in their capabilities, but are probably aren't worth as many. So I think okay. it's also so let's hope we get some some you know, we anytime something like this happens, we seemingly put it out in the news and state that it happened. I bet a lot of other countries that it happens to do they not admit this though. So so we won't ever know the true that's score. A good point too. So that's difficult. That's a good point too, because then you show weakness. That's one thing I well. Yeah, whatever. All right, watch this. Vulnerability transition. is not a weakness. <laughs> watch this transition. Uh, Solar Winds, we've been talking about, mm-hmm. started in Tulsa, Oklahoma, 21 years ago. Their headquarters is now in Austin, Texas. Oh, saw a funny joke the Texas. other day. Last one out of San Francisco. Please turn out the lights. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have Oracle moves its headquarters from California to Texas. What's y'all's thoughts on that? Uh, my initial thought was uh, when I had seen the article initially, it actually wasn't about Oracle. I think it was about Larry had had moved like physically. It's like physically. they didn't announce like they're going to move. Like they announced like they've moved. So mm-hmm. mo- most companies, I think we like, I think HPE was one of the most recent ones, right? Uh, mm-hmm. They're like, we're going to move to Texas. Whereas Oracle is just like, yeah, we've done it. We're in we're Texas done. now. Like that's right. That was their announcement. So I thought that that was interesting. These things are happening fast. And I also think that, Oh, actually it's up on the screen here. Um, no, 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 this isn't the one, but Greg Abbott had mentioned that he is in talks with a bunch of other CEOs right now to move more to Texas. Uh, yeah. From no, all Texas over the country. Is very friendly to corporate interests when it comes to. And full, I might add. So, <laughs> <laughs> no need no Except need to look west here texas. go go create another big city in west texas we only need one brother we only need oh, one lubbock lubbock really? texas you talking about he lubbock said, oh, he said big. Yeah. get out of here the hometown of the harvard of west texas thank you Ooh. very much hometown the harvard of, the harvard of, west, of texas. west texas wow <laughs> yeah that's texas uh, that's University. a high bar go, go red raiders <laughs> that's right oh man i was actually planning on going there but uh, and then I didn't. Yeah, but then you got, planning you got when I was in like ended up in Oklahoma, middle school, Ooh. middle school. Yeah, I, I went on a campus tour with my aunt who was there at the time. Went and toured like the football stadium and locker room and like all the the campus buildings, whatnot. It was I've been there. So it's a great campus. A little day. too big, maybe, but uh, but it's it's a good campus. Too much walking. Go from one class to the next is like forty five minute walk. All right, let me follow up on the that was uh, high the, school for me. Yeah, dude. Our <laughs> campus, our high school campus was a campus. It was crazy. It's huge. It was crazy. When I went to A&M to go, uh, to go tour, it was like, this looks just like Plano this Senior High. Yeah. The buildings <laughs> were the same color. Everything. I mean, they were all that like gray with the maroon nope. highlights kind of deal. I graduated with uh, like 78 people. So I don't. We did too. In each row though. (laughs) (laughs) Literally did not know the people on either side of me at graduation. Never met them. Never seen them in my life. I met, I met 12 people I'd never met before that also had the last name that started with G. They could have graduated all four grades at the same time. And I would have known every single person walking across the stage. (laughs) Wow. Well, 
All right. Uh, so we talked about the Chinese lunar probe. It was headed up to Mars. It's on its way back with some moon rocks. Moon rocks. Woo. Yay. Exciting. I don't know. Uh, it is exciting. I mean, we already have moon rocks. I don't know if they're going for like some new moon specific rocks. moon rocks within. Like, I got to guess. I'm, I'm guessing they landed in certain places and they're looking for, you know, probably verification of certain theories based on analysis that's been done. But I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but since we're talking about uh, the moon and space, I woke up and was just kind of casually reading uh, some of the science news. New theory casually upends space and time. I was like, casually. clickety click. What <laughs> casually upends space mm-hmm. and time. I don't know about and, that. Yeah. That's uh, probably what woke Russ up. No kidding. So, That's why I couldn't sleep. <laughs> so just to to cut it short for you here, um, Whenever you look at, uh, at at physics at the very large and the very small and like the quote unquote normal scale, you have different types of physics laws that rule them, right? And then when you get really small and you're talking about particles versus waves, people were trying to figure out how can we, or is there another way that we can think about this where we're not confused by the fact that sometimes things are particles and sometimes things are waves? What What theory... Um, can we develop or uh, whatever? How else can we think about this where we can still go and prove, um, answer some of the problems that Einstein answered with a new possible theory, right? So this article is all about fragments of energy instead of particles versus waves. That's well, how do they distinguish Fra- why? Like, why did they, why do we need to call it a fragment of energy as opposed yeah. to a particle? The, ar- the article doesn't or... really get into it. I read the whole thing. Um, it talks about, you know, when we're trying to solve for basically the, the wobbling um, uh, orbit of Mercury around the sun and solving for light bending around um, the sun to show that it's mass, right? As you follow, uh, you know, a, a line of a wave through the bending of space time. They basically just said, if we can call these things fragments, fragments of energy, um, we can still solve it the same way. So I don't know that it's necessarily actually proving something. I think well, the article title is a little overblown. Um, yeah. Casually up in space and time. Not really. So Not at all. Uh, see that? I, yeah. I, like, I haven't read through this all the way yet, but basically what they were saying is we've got a new way of looking at this, right? And, and yeah. as expected, the... In like in Earth's environment, any new theory basically has to fundamentally fall back and look Newtonian, right? That was that's right. been a staple. It is so well confirmed at this point that if you have a theory that doesn't mathematically simplify to Newtonian physics in sort of the observable Earth atmospheres, um, then then you very likely have a bad theory of yeah. anything physics or space time related. Same thing for general relativity at this point. If if your theory doesn't quote unquote simplify to general or special relativity, you're probably wrong right? Uh, highly likely to be wrong because it's yeah. observably uh, quantified at this point, right? It's obviously still a theory, but it, hard to break it. So it looks like their theory does simplify to Einstein's general relativity, but I'm not, I still don't see in this why they think they need a fractional energy description of yeah. how It doesn't really say. They, they basically, they're trying to figure out what the, th- the fundamental building blocks of the universe are, right? And they're supposing yeah, that it's something called fragments of energy. That's, that's goofy. 
right? It just yeah. it doesn't it doesn't make sense because we already have well established yep. theories that that sort of address wave particle duality, and we have been trying to experimentally verify the existence of fundamental particles. That's what the giant colliders are all about, right? It's higher and higher energy to try to find the the basic building blocks. I call it what you want. If you don't have a way of validating it that's new and different, then who cares? Oh, oh get wrecked. Who cares about <laughs> your theory casually up in space and time? Not us. Not oh. Tech Breakfast Podcast. Um, so I do... F- I think we can flip this to something incredibly interesting. Okay, go ahead. I was going to start talking about the Demon Core, which I fell asleep uh, listening to last night or watching oh, on YouTube. You got to sleep. That's great. Um, <laughs> you were up watching Harry Potter. <laughs> so I, I think Curtis actually tagged us in this one as well. And I, and I read it last night. I just found it incredibly interesting. Quantum Chess. Who has heard of this? What? No. Yeah, somebody. Yeah, I just saw him. Uh, I saw him. Yeah, just tag us in that. What what was that all about? So my the my favorite thing about it is is not only was I learning about it for the first time, but it said we have a winner in the world's first quantum chess tournament. So this is not an idea. Ooh, this exists. Okay. What? Yeah. Go on. Uh, <laughs> like playing in a multiverse, but the different boards are connected to each other. Is so, the like, wait, what? Hold on, it's too early. Let me get some coffee. We just talked about the destruction <laughs> of space and time, and I got that, but wait, what? So say that again. Yeah, yeah, I got it. So it says, what exactly is quantum chess? Uh, it says, it's a complicated version of regular chess that incorporates, <laughs> the, yeah, that incorporates the quantum concepts of superposition, entanglement, and interference. It's like you're playing in a multiverse, but the different boards in, in different universes are connected to each other, says Caltech physicist Spiros Mikalakalisikikis or something. So, like that. so, so is this, it. I think you I nailed, nailed it. Yep. it. So yep. is this like when you go to move uh, your rook and you don't take your hand off, right? But somebody's like, "Oh, you made the move," or whatever. Does that does that make a move and now it creates a new board? But maybe you move your hand back and then you actually move it to a different place and that makes a different board and now you're playing two different games. There, well, as if you made both moves at the same it, it time. Is this, so you is actually this only look at humans? one board. It is playing. Yeah. So that's a great okay. question. I asked the exact same thing to myself as I was reading it, um, and it is being played by humans. In fact, okay. it was like okay. the finals was someone from. Very the, I guess they said someone from Amazon and someone from Google. So I assume it means from the companies that it was. Playing. Except for they were both down. Yeah, oh. yeah they're both robots. So that's how <laughs> maybe this it. is what took it down. That's how we knew it were humans because it was someone from Amazon. Some, they Google. said someone, but someone was in quotes and it was an AI from both. So this isn't relevant to what I'm going to describe of the game, but I have to call it out. It says quantum chess is the brainchild of Chris Cantwell. C-A-N-T-W-E-L-L. For all of those, those of you who don't know, that is my last name. And there are not a lot of us. <laughs> I have actually, I have met one Cantwell in person before in my life and i've only had three instances including this one where i've heard of one well it sounds like this one's smart small small cherokee or part of the cherokee tribe there uh it is not my dad this uh, person appears to be younger than me no the person you met never mind sorry oh i know my dad i met (laughs) you said i met one cantwell before and i was like was it your dad never mind so i want to describe the game to you real quick (laughs) uh so this is the way an example um this is just sort of an example of how the game works. And you do only look at one board. So it says, we get two possible boards. 
on one board, the queen did not move at all. So this is describing a, a move. Um, whenever it says the white queen is performing a quantum move from D1 to D3. So it says we get two possible boards. On one board, the queen did not move at all. On the other board, the queen did move. See, Each that's what I'm saying. Board has a 50% chance of existence. Showing yeah. every possible board, though, would get quite complicated after just a few moves. So players view the game as a single board. After the same quantum queen move, the player sees this. And then it is, it is basically showing the queen sitting on D3 and then uh, two, two pawns that had moved. So it's describing yeah, so it's this as, as, if, as if they made the move and didn't make the move. Now you have to play both options. Right. And so the, yeah, the way that they show this is... And you, and you can't see this on here, but I'll just describe it exactly as is. It says the teal-colored fill of each queen, so you can imagine that the pieces have a, a color filling to them. Teal-colored fill of each queen shows the probability of finding the queen in that space. The That's same cool. queen That's existing really cool. in a different location on the board. So the queen is in a superposition of being in two places at once. On their next turn, the player can choose to move any one of their pieces. So, and pieces can it, also be entangled with each other. They, they can. And here's the most interesting part of this. There is no check or checkmate in this game. What? Yeah. And uh, I read this last night. I don't know if it was in the same article. I mean, not I having check makes sense, but how does check? Oh, here it is. How do you play chess without checkmate? This right. is the how way do you, you do it. Do you so have to kill a, everything? A player must capture their opponent's king as they make a quantum measurement of its location. So you okay, have so to how does one make a quantum measurement in this? The probability do. of where it is? No, how? Uh, well, it actually says, so pieces can then be entangled with each other, critical to... So they, they did a, a game between Paul Rudd and, and Stephen Hawking. <laughs> so this was, I guess... So, you know, several years ago. Yeah. Um, because Paul Rudd's one of the only people who's actually gone to the quantum realm and then returned. And so they that figured makes that sense. was a good person. Yeah, that's smart. That. <laughs> what yeah. is wrong with our culture? <laughs> in, in order to determine where entangled pieces, uh, where an entangled piece is actually located, a player must make a measurement. In fact, that's the only way to win a game of quantum chess since there is no check or checkmate possible. So it doesn't say exactly how that's done here specifically, but there is. Oh, a video. I want to know how the measurement's done because this is really curious. Otherwise, you kind of have to play both of those possibilities. I mean, I can imagine a situation where if you think the queen is in a position to traditionally check your king, for instance, but it's also in a position that could be taken in a turn or two if you move a, a you know character from or one of the pieces from point a to point b then you kind of have to decide both of those and how how important or likely it is to be there to capture the queen or put your you know king in, into a bad position that sounds really cool but i i'm lost on how one makes the i think we'll know soon because they are actually trying to i think fund a commercial version of this game so that we can exploit i'm incredibly interested too because one yeah. thing it's just like everyone who's it. played it is pointing out that they're just they're learning and understanding basically quantum physics to a whole nother level yeah, as cool. they associate it with the game, which is pretty cool. And my favorite description of this, and we can we can close it with it, is is that this makes 3D chess from Star Trek look silly. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. basically what this says. So it's I Child's thought this play. was awesome when Child's I read play. through it. I, I immediately wanted that is to awesome. Play it. I do. I yeah. would. Well, I want to lose at it. Probably would be the way to say that. Oh yeah, I'm a terrible chess player. I'd be good at this at all, chess but I want to play it. 
that's, that's really cool. I want to play this against my eight-year-old who thinks she's so smart because she beats me at every card game we play. <laughs> she's going to trade me here, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, what else we got? That's crazy. That is crazy. Let's uh, see here. Um, EA is buying Codemasters for $1.2 billion. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what Codemaster makes. Obviously, every, pretty much everyone knows EA. It's big gaming publisher codemasters is responsible for the games like dirt um like is a which is a racing game ah, like I didn't know that was dirt grid um all, all sorts of different things but they also own other racing entities meaning ea does so it sort of makes them somewhat of a conglomerate in the in the racing space but i really loved codemasters games 10 15 years ago i mean they're still good i just haven't played all the different versions of them but this was i just was very surprised codemasters to me was always a small development studio. I don't think I, I, I recognized how big their, their obviously their user base or their fan base is in order for them to maybe make enough sales to quantify a $1.2 billion purchase of them. So I just thought That's to myself, wild. good for the Codemasters people. And hopefully yeah. EA doesn't mess them up because Codemasters has huh. done really good work, you know, over Based the on what I know about EA, I'd say that's highly unlikely. Yeah. They seem to mess most things up. If I'm not mistaken, they're you know accredited for uh, being responsible for the shift towards releasing completely unfinished games. They're often attributed with the in-game purchases, gambling garbage that has ruined any number of highly likely to succeed games. Otherwise, the ending I, of I, NCAA EA football. has lots of hate directed at it. Yeah, for the longest like a lot of it's rightful. For for many years, they were ranked as the most disliked company in the world. Um, what? Yeah, you have to recognize gaming is so big that like, and it's so polarizing that it's it it, it almost has to be a gaming company that is both the most liked and disliked yeah. in the world. But uh, I think so they've actually been overtaken. I think Activision actually overtook them. Oh, nice! As the most hated. Yeah, as the most hated. Wow. Yeah. What did Activision do that that tipped that scale? They they are just really really good at extracting money from their titles better than anyone and so i think it bothers people how much that every decision they make is based on generating another dollar yeah no it's not about enjoying the game or building another generation of gamers to continue making billions forever it's about squeezing every penny out of your seven-year-old now yeah i mean that was i mean they own call of duty we mentioned before call of duty makes a billion dollars every year and that's only 25 percent of the revenue from call of duty because they have all these other mechanisms for getting uh, getting cash out. So that's, that's I think, primarily the reason. It's just when, when, when you're in a creative space and every dollar that you – or everything that you try and do is to make another dollar, it just doesn't tend to sit well with the fans, especially whenever you're already making just bucket loads. Of Hand money. over fist. Right. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you actually do things that are good for your consumers instead of just trying to squeeze more dollars out of us? Yeah, for sure. Hey, so uh, Codemasters, $1.2 billion. Compare that to Boston Dynamics, valued at roughly the exact same. I think it was $1.1 billion. Fair? Um, I, I suppose. I think commercially, Codemasters is dramatically more viable. I was going to say, Codemasters is probably yeah. making a lot more money. Yeah, so I think that from an investment standpoint, <laughs> EA probably wins here. Yeah. Just my assumption. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it, it could be just forward-looking tech. It's money today versus potential monies tomorrow. I think sure. Boston Dynamics right. obviously doing a lot of cool stuff. It's just how many, again, how many sales? 
Codemasters yeah, is yeah. an no, obvious I mean, like revenue generation point. I think the Boston Dynamics is less obvious, but not yeah. necessarily less uh, right. potential. Yeah, totally different markets. And Hyundai can use it all kinds of different ways to help improve their own company logistics, right? So it could pay out in all sure. kinds of different ways besides just selling the robots to other people. All right, just curious, just curious. Yeah. Going yeah. for intellectual consistency here, that's all. Thank you. All right, what else? What else we got? Or are we shutting this bad boy down? Well, I'm going to ask you guys a question. 2020 happened and then a lot of other things changed. Uh, and you're having a was, second baby. I am having a baby second baby. Huge. Coming, coming at you live, July 2021. July 2020. Wow. Check right, you out. Nice, man. Yeah, July. All right. Summer, what was your question? Good for our family because everyone's in the fall or the spring. So we managed to sprinkle <laughs> one in. Without Spread it that. out a bit. Um, 2020 happened and obviously we're all working from our homes now. Uh, we All three of us used to travel quite a bit. Future of work has been up for discussion a lot, and, and various CEOs have declared whether or not they're going to continue to support remote work and whatever else. Sure. And I think a lot of people respond positively, but it's not unanimous. Uh, yeah. One CEO declared working from home was the future, and apparently there was a lot of aggressive resistance to him saying this. He was in the tech space, and so that's why this kind <laughs> what, of caught What CEO my, was I, this? Because I saw that headline, but I didn't catch the company. Yeah, it's uh, Chris Hurd, founder and CEO of First Base, um, which I don't know exactly what they do, basically said he spoke to more than 1,500 people and felt secure in making certain predictions about the work life of the future. But he shouldn't have because apparently yeah. no one was happy with his response. And uh, they just they just did a uh, an interview with him. So it's not like I saw a whole bunch of this stuff on Twitter. But it did ask me, you know, I was wondering, how do you guys feel about it? Uh, the whole work from home future. Do you, I don't think we're ever going to go back to what it was before. No, I do I believe people either. are going back to the office for sure. I, I, I think, just think that we're going to have a more permanent situation yeah. where working from home is more culturally accepted across the board as sure. opposed to just some small pockets. I think this transition was already happening. It was just, it was dramatically accelerated because of the pandemic and because of the demand for, well, people not getting together effectively. Um, right. I, I think that landscape is permanently, permanently changed. I think a lot of roles uh, just proved the point, which is, yes, you can successfully, if not even more successfully, do certain things from home without seeing people in person, right? Um, I, I don't think it will stay where it is. I think our jobs are actually perfect examples of work from home being totally functional, but not likely to be the future. Um, because you still lose a lot of the body language, uh, just the, the responses you get from actually being in front of people, you lose some of the call it water cooler talk, you, you lose opportunities to have more personal interactions, which I still think there's a huge gap with something like zoom, even though you can see people's faces, you can see some of their body language. It's somehow more exhausting than being in a conference room in certain places. But I, I don't think the balance is going to be the same. Um, I think as annoying as it was early days in this to see your schedule go from eight o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night, back to back to back to back zoom calls. That's a lot more meetings. And a lot more touch points, especially oh, yeah. for somebody in a sales role, than flying to Houston to have two customer interactions in a day. And then maybe a couple of phone calls mixed in there because you quite simply couldn't bear the same burden. So activity Dude, went up, went. Yeah. but the quality of activity, I think, went down. And, and the balance, I just don't think is going to be the same, but it, it will change. At, uh, at one point in my career, when I lived in North Carolina, I covered all of North and South Carolina, I lived right in the middle 
of the two states in Charlotte. And I would basically get up and drive two hours every morning to go meet with people. And one day I had to drive to Charleston for an important customer meeting. It's about three and a half hours. It's the farthest in my, in my zone. And about 15 minutes out, customer canceled. So I just, oh, I've been there, fi- finished yeah, the drive, yeah. um, went and got a sandwich. And I stood on the, uh, the shore of the Atlantic, like took my shoes off, <laughs> like in order <laughs> to not rage out, <laughs> literally took my shoes off, rolled my khakis up or slacks or whatever. And went and ate my sandwich, just standing in the waves, <laughs> looking out. And then I put <laughs> nice. my shoes back on and I drove back home another three and a half hours. Oh, wow. See, um, and I, I, I took a flight to Houston yeah. and a, a very unusual storm for Houston came through and actually iced to the ground. And my two customer meetings promptly canceled and the airport shut down. So I got stranded in a hotel uh, with no sandwich. And, and no, no customer interactions and no ocean <laughs> and nowhere to turn except for the one place to eat that was still open, which was the bar downstairs because the restaurant was closed because they couldn't get to the city because it's Texas and we don't do ice and it's Houston. We really can't do ice. Yeah. So yeah, stuff like that was pretty devastating uh, for, for interactions. But interestingly, in a situation like that, my customers canceled those meetings because they couldn't get to their office and they weren't going to have vendors come in. in obviously but they, we did not transition to a zoom call or a phone call like it just right. didn't happen and i had flown to houston for this experience right and and i was the specialist that was supposed to be having this conversation and all of a sudden it's just ah we'll reschedule and here i am straight in houston so yeah those things think about the cost of sales uh, which i realized singular to, to our perspective here but um I, I hell i've seen corporate filings in the last few months, the cost of doing business has gone down substantially. So, so the, the cost of sales looks really good right now. And most of them are prefacing those sort of highlights with the, we don't expect this to be permanent, which is why I think the balance will change. But again, it's not going back to the way it was, I don't think. Yeah, I think it's interesting yeah. because when I worked at HP a decade ago, I guess now, um, we all worked from home. I mean, it was a work from home culture and for about three to three and a half of my four years there, that was the case. And then, and then they basically brought everyone back. So they brought everyone back in. Now, granted, I I think things are different now. Um, We, we still had obviously conference calls that we were able to do, but we didn't have the level of collaboration tools that we have now in 2020 to make it much more viable, nor did we have the level of internet access comparatively. So I think that compared to my time doing it for, you know, almost four years to now, it's definitely an improved experience. And I think that, I think what's going to be interesting is, as you said, taking our industry, I think there's going to be a lot of customers who continue to work from home which will then change the way we ultimately interact with them at times. Absolutely. I still think that a lot, all three of us will be on a plane, <laughs> um, you know, here in, the, here in the relatively near future. But uh, I, I do think there's going to be some change and I think it's probably going to be for the best. I like to see the flexible working. I like to see people being able to move to different areas around the country if they want to and be able to continue working. So I think ultimately it'll be for the best, but it's just interesting to see that there's a lot of people who, they just they just don't want it, right? So a lot, yeah. a lot of people just don't like working from home. And so I do hope yeah. that we continue to have plenty of options for, for those people who want to make sure they can still go into the office uh, or who have made investments living close to the office, like want to live in the city and like being able sure. to walk to it and get away. So it's going to be an interesting balance that changes here in the next Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. I've just that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot too. Is that there's a lot of technology that that corporations have invested in, can invest in to make a work from home experience more positive, right? But it, they can't necessarily fix everyone's desk and everyone's chair and everyone's keyboard and everyone's home layout. Yep. No one, or not everyone how has an feasible office. it is to work out of your kitchen while your spouse potentially is also working out of said kitchen and your extended family, because maybe your multi-generational home has eight people living or, or doing part of their life from that same space. Like that's, you, you can't fix everyone's home situation to make work from home a positive or beneficial experience, right? So, so I think some people are going to get left out in the cold if this is forced. I've never lived in a home without an office in it ever my whole life. So the, so in, so I never thought about the idea that a house would not have a dedicated office in it. But what I learned through this is that a lot of our employees, they, they have no dedicated space of any kind for this type of thing. And that's a huge aspect of this. Like people are, a lot of people are getting very creative and doing what I would just describe as Tyler Gates like things and building them in their garage. They're literally <laughs> building office spaces for sure. them to kind of work in their garage, which I, I have uh, an office and I consider doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's just a big aspect that I think that I, I didn't think of because of my circumstance. I mean, literally growing up as a kid, every house we were in, had an office. Every home I have had has an office. I mean, it's a priority. It's, it's a must, like it must be there. And so that was interesting to just to think about that a lot of people just don't have dedicated spaces to be able to work. And, and I think there, there's a disconnect there too. Some companies I think will do worse than others uh, when they're trying to sort of fix stuff like that. I think my, my company, VMware, has been very generous with uh, you know, allowances to, to get a new chair, to get a new desk, to get a new whiteboard, as I gestured to one behind me, right? Because they're important for my role. But, but um, it, like the office space we used to have obviously cost VMware a lot more than those few things in my office. And I'm not even sure if everyone got what they needed. But the snacks were amazing. And I miss those. I don't get I don't get VMware provided snacks at home now. Like there was no allowance for that. There's no allotment, right? It's called your paycheck Um, and fill your kitchen. Obviously. But it wasn't (laughs) part of my paycheck before and I can still go get a hard boiled egg. That's what it is now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, um, yeah, that uh things have changed. I, I just hope I hope as we get to the new normal balance that there's also, uh, I don't know. I, I just want to see companies taking care of their people. Right. Um, and like I said, VMware's done really good for me, but I know that that's not universal. So, yep. Anyways, I gotta, I gotta get out of here. I got a uh, hot two minutes before I catch my next call. So I think without further ado, that brings another tech breakfast podcast to a close. Thanks everybody for joining us on this fine Monday morning. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing with your friends. And thanks for your support on Patreon if you are doing that. Peace. Later. Booyah, Grandma.